This morning's a little different. I'm going to preach to you without a scripture text. Now, I didn't say I was going to preach without scripture, but I did say I was going to preach without scripture text. Because if I actually preach to you using my entire scripture text, let's just say we'd be here a very long time. Because my scripture text, if I were to preach it all, is the entire book of Acts. Aren't you glad that I'm being disciplined and not preaching the whole thing to you? And it took me back to when I first began to meaningfully engage the book of Acts. Now, my parents had me read the Bible through every year along with them for years and years and years. And so I am quite sure that before the year that I'm going to cite, I had read the book of Acts. But the first meaningful interaction with the book of Acts that I remember is when my father returned from general conference and he laid down a long box. It is the longest box of quiz cards that I have ever seen. We've never had that long of a quiz box since. The year was 1985, and at the outset, youth ministries, what we call now, youth ministries had decided that we were going to memorize the book of Acts. As I remember it, it was 1,007 verses. So when I act like I lived in Abraham Lincoln's day and that I went uphill both ways to school in snow all year round, when talking to you Bible quizzers, there's a kernel of truth to it. Russ had quizzed one junior year. I asked him this morning, and so he and I began our senior quiz careers together. We did not know each other at all. We were not friends. In fact, for years we weren't friends because we usually saw each other on opposite sides of the board. And I frankly didn't like Stittsville because they always beat me. But young boys, 12 years of age, here we are tackling 1,007 verses. And then we got word midway through the year that they were scaling it back to just through chapter 21. Now, you need to fast forward. For those of you that do not know, I earned my Ph.D. The final piece of my doctorate work was to write a dissertation on the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. I am ticked off that they scaled back to chapter 21 because my knowledge of those first 21 chapters is phenomenal and my knowledge of the last seven, well, let's just say it limps along. In that day, though, I was very excited that they'd scaled it back. We didn't even really memorize, and I confirmed this so I'm not besmirching his name, but we really didn't memorize back then the way we memorize now. In fact, in that day, quizzers, there were quote verses, Verses that on the verse card had a dot next to them. And those were the only ones that the quiz master and judges could require you to quote verbatim. The others were content and essence verses. Little did I know how much the book of Acts would become very central to my life. God has a way of planning things, does he not? I wouldn't have known it at 12 years of age. I doubt my father knew it, though he probably had more of an inkling than I did. And so I need to draw upon that knowledge in all of these years, 35 years to be exact, that I have spent in the book of Acts. And I do know its story fairly well. And so this morning, if you don't know its story well, I need you to go home and over the next week read the book of Acts. You can read it this week. It will not take you too long to read it this week. But I need you to go and read it. And for those of you that maybe you have read it, I need you to draw upon your knowledge because I need to paint a picture for you. I need to draw for you from this story of the birth of the church a choice that I believe you and I have this morning. Each of us individually, but even more importantly, as members of this congregation, we have a choice. And the choice is very simple. Which church? Jerusalem or Antioch? And I know because we're Pentecostals, we tend to read the book of Acts prescriptively. We see within it 
the essence of what the apostles did, and, and we want to emulate the apostles. But can I break some news to you? Not everything the apostles did should be emulated. Peter rebuked the Lord. I would suggest you not rebuke the Lord. Peter was then rebuked back by the Lord. Get thee behind me, Satan. So everything the apostles did, we don't do. And so we have to have a little bit more of a discerning eye to recognize, like the rest of Scripture, that not everything recorded in Scripture is prescriptive. Sometimes it's descriptive, and it's describing things that aren't so good. It's describing the fallible and the broken. Because God's been working with fallible and broken human beings a long time, long before you. That's why with you, with all of your mess, you're really not freaking God out. You, with all of your drama, you're really not causing him to lose any sleep. He doesn't need to sleep, but he's still not losing any sleep over your problems because he's been dealing with problems. And frankly, if you want to go and read the Bible from front to back, you'll find out that your drama doesn't even measure up to a lot of the drama we see within that book. God handled them then. He'll handle you now. Can the church say amen? So we have to recognize that not everything within our canon of canons, namely the book of Acts, is necessarily exactly the way it's supposed to be. Now, I'm probably going to paint a little more starkly in, in, in contrasting these two churches, and I, and I admit that, and, and I apologize to Jerusalem because they're going to feel the brunt of this picture. And perhaps I will overreach in order to draw your eye and your contrast to Antioch but not by much. When I ask which church will we be, what I mean is, is from the picture painted for us in the book of Acts, we find a church in Jerusalem which is ethnically defined, divided, personality-driven, controlling, and fearful. I have seven questions that I'm going to ask you. I shouldn't have told you that because now you can count. <laughs> but you also can count. To try to help you recognize and see from the narrative of Acts how these aspects of Jerusalem are not to be emulated. These are not pluses. These are not benefits. These are things that we must work to avoid. And while I'm going to paint Antioch with a very rosy brush, and I am quite sure, as every church will, that Antioch had its underside. It had its problems. The narrative of the book of Acts does not paint Antioch in the same light as Jerusalem. And we could discuss, those of you that want to geek out with me, we can discuss whether Luke was intentionally doing this and what was up with his agenda and how he was painting this picture because he does tell Theophilus in Luke and in Acts that he very intentionally is, is writing a story, a story that's a proper story, an ordered story, in order to have Theophilus know that the things he's been taught as a Christian are indeed true. So Luke's very intentional. And so I can't think that the picture we're receiving of Jerusalem is an accident. But I also think that it does reflect problems that every church must struggle with and every church must be aware of. But Antioch is painted with a different brush. There's different colors that show up in their picture because Antioch, from its inception, is a diverse church. And it's a united church. Now, you would think that ethnically defined would lead to united, but it does not. And you would think diverse would lead to divided, but it does not. They were diverse, they were united, and the picture we get is that they were team-led, not personality-driven. And as opposed to controlling they were releasing and they were sending. They released people and they sent people into the work of the kingdom. And all of this, their diversity, their unity, their team-led, their cooperation with one another as leaders and their releasing and sending of others 
points to a way of looking at things which was full of faith instead of fear. Now again, if you're familiar with Acts, you can already begin to see the contours just by my opening comments of what I'm talking about in the book of Acts. If you know the book of Acts, you can recognize different features in your mind's eye may even be going to particular chapters, different areas where we can see the division, for example, that was present within them. They're all Jews. We haven't even got to really tough division. They're all Jews. They just speak two different languages, and they are divided over it. They hassled the apostles because the Grecian widows and the Hebrew widows are not seen eye to eye. Now, I could lay that off on the widows, but I don't think it's just widows that have trouble with that. I think all of us have trouble because we want things our way. So I have seven questions to challenge us this morning because we have to pick which church. Which one are we modeled after? And I hate to break it to you, but ironically, you can almost go around and figure out when you enter a church and when you sit with it for a little while, you can figure out pretty quick whether it's Jerusalem or it's Antioch. I submit to you these seven questions as a start at trying to ascertain this. Number one, do we attempt to control people or do we actually send and release people? Go and look at the book of Acts. Every single time the Jerusalem church sends forth people, they send them to a place where revival has already begun and they're being sent to check on the revival. The only other time that I can find in the book of Acts that Jerusalem sends anyone is under duress when God allows Saul to begin to persecute them and the whole church leaves Jerusalem, leaving only the apostles. Antioch? That's not the case. You will see people coming through and being sent by Antioch, and every single time that you find them being sent, they're being sent to enlarge the kingdom, and they're being sent to encourage other churches. I can't find one example where they are not going to help rather than control. You see, I think Antioch understood something that Jerusalem struggled with. God is in control. And his body doesn't need to be. I'm going to say that again. God is in control. And his body doesn't need to be. His body is his instrument. His body is those members that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and have been grafted into and are growing up into Christ. We do not have to control what's going on because he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Nothing moves, breathes, or has any being unless it's inside of him. You see, when you stop trying to control and when you recognize that you don't need to control because God is in control, it changes how you operate. It changes the way you look at things. It changes your attitude and it changes your way of being. Let me just speak very frankly. Church is known more for Jerusalem and controlling than it is known for Antioch and releasing and sending. Which church are we going to be? Which church are we going to be? Question number two. This is good progress, right? Question number two. Are we taking money or sending money? You cannot find one example of the Jerusalem church sending an offering. You can find multiple examples of them either asking for or receiving the assistance of others. And what's ironic is, is it's the assistance of other churches that they're not sure are actually holy. They're not sure they're actually godly. They're not sure they're even saved. But they'll take their money. 
They'll take the assistance. Now, please understand, we can't send money unless you give. So I'm not here to tell you to stop paying tithes or stop giving in an offering or stop giving the missions. But I am here to point us to, are we going to, as we have need, do you think Antioch didn't have need? Do you really think that famine didn't affect Antioch? Do you really think that bad times didn't affect Antioch? But we find Antioch taking assistance to the church at Jerusalem because Antioch understood something. God is in control, and our finances are not our own. They're his. And lest we become proud, Newark, for we have been a church that's been sending money for a long time. Can I break some news to you? While we're impressed with ourselves, and while the United Pentecostal Church International is impressed with us, God is not. He's not upset with us, but he's not impressed because he knows that we still have within us that seed of covetousness. He knows we still have within us that seed of greed. So he's going to press us to get outside our comfort zone. He's going to challenge you in how much money is supposed to stay in your pocket and how much is supposed to go elsewhere. And I'm not here to take an offering. Did you notice? The offering's already taken. There's no fresh offering tonight. You did take the offering, right, Rachel? Oh, you're right. It was received. See, she had to get a correction in on me. Touche. Touche. We received your offering. That is correct. Do we take or do we send? There's a direct relationship to the attitude and the spirit of whether we're Jerusalem or we're Antioch based upon whether we are pressing ourselves to send to others, others that we don't have control over, others that we're not for sure what's happening with the money. We're going to have due process. We're going to have accountability. But there's a certain point where God says, don't you think I can take care of paying attention? What's going on in the world? I'm the one who sees the heart. I'm the one who can discern the thoughts and the intents. All you can do is look at spreadsheets. All you can do is look at cash flows. You people have always been looking at the externals. No, no, no. I look at the heart. Question number three. This is good. Do we send new members away? Afraid of them? Or do we embrace new members, believing in what they will become and contribute? The Jerusalem church had Saul brought to them by Barnabas. And after a few short days, they sent him away. to a decade he sat in his hometown because the Jerusalem church was too afraid of the missionary to the Gentiles I know that Saul matured I know that Saul grew in wisdom I know that Saul was scary but if we do not embrace the rough, the ruddy, the messed up, the problem people that walk in these doors and we have faith and we have belief, not about what problems they're going to cause or how rebellious they're going to be or how much their unholiness is going to mess with our holiness. If we don't have some faith where we recognize what they can become and what God can do through them, then we're choosing to be Jerusalem. I'm talking about moving where we are. Nobody can move where you are except you. Somebody walks in here and has bad doctrine. That doesn't make you have bad doctrine. Somebody walks in here and doesn't dress holy. That doesn't mean you have to start dressing unholy. Give them space. Give them time. But 
embrace them. Let's not send them off to someplace else. Let's not reject them and put them away because we're worried about what people are going to think. Now, I understand I'm talking more to the pastoral team, but I'm telling you right now, I am a holiness preacher. I will stay a holiness preacher, and I welcome every single person into this place. The pressures outside don't matter. Go hide behind a bush and judge me. You want to judge where I stand on doctrine? Judge what I preach. You want to judge where I stand on lifestyle? Judge my family. Leave my new members alone. Because I don't know when that new member is going to finally click with God and turn into the next missionary to the entire Gentile world. I'm not sending Paul away. Not doing it, no matter what the pressure is. And I know new members think they're members before they are. I've told you all, y'all think I'm the dumbest pastor you've ever met. You come and ask me questions, and I just, I can't get your point. You keep asking it and making it plain, and every single time I do a two-step not being dishonest. I'm going to hold on to you until you absolutely insist that you're leaving because I'm not sending you anywhere because I know there comes a moment. You think Paul didn't hear Jesus before? I know he heard of him. I think he actually sat and saw him. It took years. It took decades, I would argue, for Paul to get to the place where he finally got it. So if it took Paul that long, I can promise you some of you are just as bullheaded. I'm going to give you that years to finally get it. I'm going to give you the space for God to work in your heart and your mind. I'm going to give God the space to work in you. I'm not sending you away. Fear calls me to send people away. Faith doesn't. Number four. This is good, right? Everybody's hopeful, right? As long as he doesn't settle on one of them and stay there for 45 minutes. Because you all know I could preach on one of these for 45 minutes. Just each one of these for 45 minutes. I'm not doing it. You see that? I'm being a good boy. Number four. Do we demand our culture? Or do we subordinate our culture to the scriptures? Jerusalem demanded their culture. You can't pray anywhere except at the hour of prayer in the temple. So sorry. I thought God rent the veil from top to bottom in the temple. I thought the Spirit of God was released from the temple. I thought the Spirit of God was living inside of me, Jerusalem church. No, there was culture that held on to it. Please understand something. I'm not looking to throw things away just to throw them away. But I am here to tell you that if we're going to be a Jerusalem church, then we're going to hold on to our old ways. We're going to hold on to our old customs. We're going to do it because that's how we've always done it. And instead of bringing that up against the scriptures and asking ourselves the tough questions and changing with it, and elders, I understand that this is not comfortable. And young people, I understand you want more change. Our arbiter, our rule of law is the scriptures. If they mandate it, we do it. If they don't mandate it, then we're going to figure out what all of us need at that moment and in that place and in that time. I'm not going to demand our culture. Because Antioch found a way to embrace different cultures. And I don't have time. I mean, would you like me to go in more depth or can I just deposit that? Is that good enough? Need me to go into more depth of how Antioch was a cosmopolitan city? I could go into it. I could do about 30 minutes on it. Well, you say, Janelle, do you want me to go into more? You do? They're going to kill you over there. <laughs> You're supposed to say no. I don't need to dwell on this one because if you're in small groups, you're already grappling with it. Culture versus Bible. You're allowed to have your own culture. Do you not have homes that you need to run? Go run your culture in your home. But stop insisting upon it here. 
Well, that's how my last pastor did it. Well, God bless him or her. That doesn't mean they were right. Scripture stands holy. Scripture stands forever settled in heaven. Scripture is the word of God. Scripture is our measure. That's why you new members got to understand there's some things, as much as I love you, can't move. I just got to hold on. You go, you're interpreting, absolutely. And I do my best to interpret right, and I do my best to be honest before God, but I can't move because if I believe that's what the Scripture says, that's what I'm going to submit myself to. Do you really think I don't want to remove some of the rules, the callings, the demands that God has? Do you really think I don't want to be nice to you? I do, but I won't move the Scriptures. Number five, are we defeated by persecution or do we grow by persecution? The Jerusalem church dwindled. They all left. See, we, we read thousands coming to God. That was initially. Then when Saul got done with them, they were down to nobody but the apostles. That's why they sold all their goods. God was getting them ready. They were leaving. That church was defeated by persecution. I'm not saying those disciples weren't supposed to leave. In fact, God used that to plant in Antioch. Those disciples who left Jerusalem, some of them understood that this gospel could go further than the Jerusalem church thought it could. And since the Jerusalem church was in such disarray, they couldn't exert the control to stop them from doing it. We can either get with God's program or we can have him cause us so much confusion that we can't control what he's doing. I'd rather be on his program. I'd rather be cooperating, not being resisted. History tells us as it unfolds that by mid-200s, or excuse me, the mid-100s, we have absolutely no sign of the Jewish, the ethnically defined, divided, personality-driven, controlling Jerusalem church. It's gone. And when it reappears, it's completely Gentile. God will have a church. The question is, are we going to be a part of it? The question here today, Newark, is not a matter of whether God's going to have a people that he saves by his blood. It's not a matter of whether there's going to be people going to heaven. It's a matter of are we going to be in that church? Are we going to be a part of that church? Is God going to have us embraced within that grasp? They reacted differently. They were fearful. You say, well, I don't remember the Antioch church experiencing persecution. You see, the problem is, is we all know ourselves as Christians. And we know where that came from. It was in Antioch that they were first called Christians. What we don't realize because we've taken that name is that was persecution. That name was not a positive name. That was a name of ridicule. That was a name of derision. That was people calling the Christians weird. It was persecution. But the reason you don't know about it is because the Antioch church grew by persecution instead of being defeated by persecution. What's your attitude towards this secular world? I like it. I don't like what they stand for. I don't agree with what they teach. But I love it because they will listen to anything you tell them because their bodies are tatted up. Their noses and everything else that I won't name are pierced with all kinds of things. They've listened and watched and seen all kinds of junk. You can tell them anything and they'll listen to it. Share the gospel. You don't need it to be Christian in order to share the gospel. Grow up, Christians. Get some thick skin. It doesn't matter if they like us. Share the gospel. It doesn't matter if they're doing what we want them to do. Share the gospel. And frankly, I hate to say this, but the Antioch church had more trouble with the Jerusalem church than they did with the unbelievers. And in my experience, I've had more trouble with believers than I have with unbelievers. I've received more respect from unbelievers 
who didn't agree with me than I have from my own brothers and sisters. We gonna be that church or we gonna be Antioch? Which church? Number six, do we oppose the leading of the Spirit? Again, because we're fearful, because we're not in control. Or do we follow the leading of the Spirit? God sends Ananias to Saul. And Ananias is like, oh, I don't want to go see that guy. He's kind of scary. Spirit says to him, says, you go anyway. Because I've already showed him what he's going to do. I've showed him how he's going to be persecuted. I showed him how he's going to bear my name before kings and princes and leaders of the world. I've showed him how much he's going to suffer for my namesake. I've called this boy. How did the Jerusalem church miss that? How did they miss that? They're filled with the same spirit. How'd they miss that the God they're serving called that boy? I know that Saul didn't fit what they wanted. I know that he did things. He did things he didn't even want to do. Do all of you think I'm so stupid that everything I do that ruffles the feathers of others around, I don't know what I'm doing? Do you really think I'm that stupid? You need to reassess. I know I'm special. And not in a good way. I wasn't using that in a good way. I know that I'm a little different. I'm not that different. I'm not that clueless. I'm not that disengaged. There's times that God has agendas that don't match man's agendas. There's time God wants to go places that humanity gets in the way. There's times when God says, that's your culture. I don't care about your culture. I wasn't bothered about it before, but now it's in the way. I winked at it, but now it's time for it to go. There's times when God uses people that we say that cannot be used. He's done too much. She's done too much. God goes, sorry, going to use them anyway. How are we going to know that? Well, you're not going to know it by reading the scriptures alone. You have to know it by knowing the God who's leading and guiding his body. How did Jerusalem miss it? Well, the reason is because they were fearful. The reason is because they, they were controlling. The reason is, is because they wanted their own culture. And all of those things mattered more than the scriptures. They mattered more than the leading of the Spirit of God. And finally, number seven. See, I did it. Not bad so far, right? Okay, just slightly over 30 minutes. Not done. I got a second part, but that won't take too long. See, I'm always playing with you. I'm sorry. I know. I shouldn't do that. I, it's not a good pastor that plays with his people like that. But you all love me, right? Well, that was very pathetic and weak. <laughs> well, I love you. Do we guard the gospel or do we share the gospel? This one blows my brain. This is like, this is the image that's in my mind. I don't know any current sports athlete, so I'm just going to be virginetic. This is like a 500-pound nine-foot-tall man walks in here. And I walk up to him and say, buddy, get behind me. I'm going to make sure you're okay. <laughs> Do you understand what the gospel is? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God of glory become a human. You don't have to defend the gospel. You just got to share the gospel. The gospel can defend itself. You haven't got to protect it. Well, people are going to, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to mess up the gospel. They're going to, they're, no, see, you're trying to control. Let God be in control. Control yourself. Let everybody else alone. 
Let the gospel do its work. And that, by the way, new members, is where you need to shake in your boots because I'm just letting the gospel work in you. You think you're just biding time. Oh, no, the seeds of the gospel are going down inside of you. Every small group you show up at, we're putting seeds down in there. Every morning service you come to, there it goes. It goes down inside of you. Every you talk to me, I'm putting a little seed in there and you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to work me and I'm just planting, planting, planting more seeds, more seeds, more seeds because I know that when seeds are put in the ground and God begins to work, there will come a plant out. I'm sorry, it's really bad, but you're gonna have to rebel against God. You're gonna have to tell God over and over no because I'm planting the seeds that are gonna transform you. I'm planting the seeds that are gonna save you. I'm planting the seeds that you're gonna dress, act, talk, be everything you don't want to be because Jesus does it. Do you really think I want to dress like I dress, act like I act, talk like I talk? Absolutely not. I want to be greedy. I want to be worldly. I want to be vain. I want to be all kinds of things. But my parents planted seeds in me that do not come back void. I don't need to defend this gospel. I just need to share it. Jesus didn't say, go dig a hole in the ground and stick one seed in there. Now make sure it's the right seed. Make sure the hole's perfect. Make sure it's covered over right. Make sure, no, no, no. He said, just grab a big old handful of my gospel and throw it. Throw it? Jesus, don't we need to protect it? Oh, no, no, no. Some of it will go places and it won't do anything. Some of it will go places and do something and then fall apart. He said, but it'll always find some good ground. And when it finds good ground, it'll bring forth 30, 60, and 100 fold. It'll always do its work. So I'm really sorry, new members, but you're about to be sacked. You keep running around. I got a football image in my mind. I saw a couple quarterbacks recently got sacked, and, and they were really nimble, and they just ran around. But, man, it just kept closing in. The gospel's like that. It just keeps closing in. It's going to sack you. It's going to take you down. You're going to find yourself in an altar. You're going to find yourself in your car. You're going to find yourself at home where you just start blubbering and going, oh, God, I'll do anything you ask me to do. And when you do that and you come to me, I will in that moment be disciplined. I will not smile at you. But inside I will. Because I'm telling you this morning, this gospel does not need protecting. This gospel simply needs to be shared. Now, I know it's uncomfortable because some of you think you're leaders and you're still babes. That's where I come in acting dumb. I know. But still, I'm just going to plant the gospel. Because you will become leaders. I believe in you. Every one of you. That's the part you can't get away from. I know I'm odd. I know I'm different. I know this place is different. But there's something you can't get away from. You know what it is? I believe in you. I believe you love God. That's my default. So all I need to do is add the gospel. And sometimes I'm going to add the gospel not by what I say, but by what I do week in and week out. Because this gospel is like a nine-foot, 500-pound giant. I don't need to defend it. It needs to defend me. Because I'm only five foot eleven and 200 pounds. And I'm not in any shape to defend nine-foot and 500. These two churches, Jerusalem and Antioch, could be represented by two figures that play prominent roles in the story, namely James and Barnabas. Each, I don't want to take away from these men, each contributed, but each also failed. James contributed and ethnically defined, go read it, to the 12 tribes dispersed. James contributed an ethnically defined letter from which we can still learn. I memorized the book of James. I like the book of James. But James failed to recognize God's mission to the Gentiles. It scared him because he couldn't control it. And when he tried to control it, he then lost all influence. Somebody that's a leader needs to hear that. When you try to control something, 
that isn't supposed to be controlled, you'll lose even influence. Barnabas, he failed by abandoning his co-worker, Paul, because of the cultural pressure when James exerted control and sent messengers to Antioch. I know that Luke gives it a nice spin, tells us that they split under, over John Mark, and I do believe they had contention over Barnabas' nephew, John Mark. But to the day I die, I do not believe that is why that missionary duo split. They split because messengers from James had showed up, and Barnabas finally said, I've done enough being different. I want to fit in. And Paul would have none of it. But to Barnabas's credit, he contributed the apostle Paul to the world. Because if you don't, it's the apostle Paul who Barnabas went to Tarsus and found. And he didn't take him back to Jerusalem where he took him the first time. He took him to a place called Antioch. Barnabas had been sent to check up on Antioch by Jerusalem. But when he got there, instead of checking up on them, and instead of exerting control over them, he encouraged them all the way to the place that he was known as the son of consolation or encouragement. Barnabas had a bigger vision. And so while he failed in one sense, he still succeeded in another because he went and he found what the Jerusalem church said, we want nothing to do with, send him away. He went and found him and brought him to Antioch. Jerusalem rejected Paul. Antioch embraced him. No Barnabas, no Paul. No Antioch, no Paul. No Paul. No church. Now, don't get hung up on me, those of you that are smarter. I didn't say Jesus didn't found this church. But I'm telling you that Jesus took this church to the Gentiles through Paul. No Barnabas, no Paul. No Antioch, no Paul. No Paul. You don't even know the gospel. The Jerusalem church is exterminated. It ceases to exist. But the Gentile church continued to grow. And within a scant 250 years, to its demise, yes, but it conquered that which had persecuted it. It subjugated that which had tried to destroy it. Which church are we going to be? Are we going to be this ethnically defined, divided, personality-driven, controlling, and fearful church that Jerusalem seems to be? Or are we going to be diverse, united, team-led, releasing and sending? Because we know there's one king and there's one kingdom full of faith. This morning, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand that as long as I'm leading you, we're going to be an Antioch church, not a Jerusalem church. And it means that Jerusalem is not always going to like us, and that's okay. We'll just keep sending them money. <laughs> and those that have ears to hear, you just heard what I said. Jerusalem will not always like us. It's okay. We're going to keep doing what the master calls us to do, and we'll just keep sending them money because we know there's more where that came from. Now you're going to hear me shift gears for just a little bit here to a statement that's very carefully crafted. And I really feel that what I have to share with you at this moment, God placed in the context of the message that I've just challenged you with. Which church are we going to be? And you can say, well, that, 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 challenge, is just, that challenge is just about the church. But no, the church is made up of individual members. And so each of you are going to have to decide what you're going to do with those seven questions. 
Because if you're not giving, then you're not participating in sending. If you're demanding your way, then you're demanding your culture. And on and on. So I, I challenge you to take those questions and bring them down from a corporate level to a personal level. The reason I said the Antioch church is team-led is because when Barnabas brought Saul, who later begins to be known as Paul, to Antioch, in Acts 13, we are presented with a model of team leadership in the Antioch church. It states, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. These various and different leaders are presented in the book of Acts in the context of Antioch as working together as a team. You don't have any statement about superiority and who was in charge. And like this early church, it's been my pleasure to and I'm still in the process of building a team of leaders so that we, Newark, can emulate Antioch in accomplishing the Lord's work. But with any team of leaders, there are times of parting as we also release these leaders according to the Lord's will. Not even according to our will. Not even according to their will, but according to the Lord's will. Because verse 2 of Acts 13 states, One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and were fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. You see, we serve a single king who's king over a single kingdom. But that kingdom is very large. In fact, it spans the globe. And at times, members of the team will depart to other places of service in the king's kingdom. Think about it with me. I'm sure what happened in Antioch was amazing. So I'm sure that moment was bittersweet when they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and released them from service to the church in Antioch. I promise you Barnabas and Saul weren't sitting on a pew. They were integral to what was happening. There were many unknowns, and yet the Spirit had given clear direction to release them. And that's what we have to submit to, whether we like it or not. So likewise today, it is bittersweet that I need to announce to you that my friend and our education pastor, Russ Fulbert, will be leaving us. It has been an honor to welcome the Fulberts to our New York UPC family for the past year. Russ and Kim, when we welcomed you on that first Sunday just slightly over a year ago, I stated that my prayer was that you would find in New York UPC a home of peace and prosperity for your family. And I trust that you found that for this past year with us. Russ, thank you for the sermons preached, the lessons written and taught, even the last one on your last day when it was Sabbath. The meetings run and sometimes that ran you. The templates built, the structure crafted, and the invaluable feedback that you brought to us. Kim, thank you for the time spent with our quizzers, both seniors and juniors. We had a great year this past year, and you were a part of it. The insight about questions shared. I never knew there was that much going on in the questions. The fun times behind the quiz board coaching our boys. I had a good time with you, Kim. It was fun. I'm going to miss it. Taylor and Ryland, thank you for allowing us to partner with you in missions this summer. I know that God had called you to do this, but we got to have fruit in that. Thank you. Zach and Asher, thank you for the laughter. Thank you for the excitement, the comments that made mom and dad nervous, but made us, me, feel loved. Particularly, Zach, your careful awareness of how long I preached. 
I know I'm past noon. Deal with it. And Asher, your almost giddy pleasure regarding the fact that you can dress casual on Sunday nights. I'll never forget how pumped you were when you found that out. I don't think mom and dad were so pumped, but you were. So church, as we part ways, as we separate Russ and Kim to the work that is before them, what makes this even more uncomfortable, even though we don't see it, it's still there, just like Barnabas and Saul, when God said separate them, we read that they knew exactly what to do. Go reread it again. He just said separate them without the clarity of what that meant and where that was going to lead. I trust my friend as he told me that God had directed him that his season here was done. My friend, I trust that God has his hands out and is catching you. He knows exactly where he's taking you. I can't tell you that now, so do me a favor. Don't bug them after church. Where are you going? What are you doing? What's happening? Because they're terrified right now. They're midair, trusting the voice of our master. And I can do nothing but trust and respect that voice from my friend. So as I release you, as we release you, as we separate you to the work that God has called you to, I pray again that you find your new home to be a place of peace and prosperity. But I also have a selfish prayer. I pray that you will remember these days here at Newark with fondness. And I also pray that you know that we love you. We wish you Godspeed. And you always are welcome, not as visitors anymore, but as members of Newark UPC. And I hope that God will afford us as he unfolds the plan that it's structured in such a way that there are times when we can bring you back. We've brought you here before you came and were part of us, so we should be able to bring you back and allow you to share and rejoice in what God is doing in our midst, as I am sure the Apostle Paul felt as he would return to Antioch and see what God was doing even as he had been separated, along with Barnabas, to go and do another work, a work that's all about serving our king in his great kingdom. When God instructed the church in Antioch to separate Barnabas and Saul, I am sure there were mixed emotions that resulted. Excitement for what God was doing, but also confusion as to why they had to leave. You all need to understand, when I offered this to my friend, I said my intent is that we would live out our days working together. That is what I wanted, and I believe that is what he wanted. But I also trust the voice of God that that is not what God wanted. And so we both submit. Think of that team. Think of Antioch. Excited. What is God going to do through Barnabas and Saul? But also confusion. Why did they have to leave? Now we've got to shuffle the deck. We've got to figure out who's covering small groups in East Antioch. Who's going to head the curriculum team, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, opportunities for others to serve and grow, but also feelings of loss as Barnabas and Saul left. And so, church, it is normal that we would also experience similar feelings. You have been warm in welcoming the Fauxbears, and each of you in different ways have created varying levels of relationship, and we'll feel the impact of that, and it's okay to feel that. While Acts 13 does not give us the details regarding how the team adjusted to the departure of Barnabas and Saul, we do know that Antioch continued to grow. We know the church was stable and continued to grow. In some way, that team pulled together, restructured, and carried on with the work of the kingdom. And so it is with us. 
In consultation with our executive pastor, I have realigned our structure to carry out the work of making disciples of all. We are still headed where we're headed. We have determined that an enlarged role that includes both the duties of the education pastor and the oversight of guest care, member care, and certain elements of serving is needed. We're calling this role the connections pastor. Think of it very simply from the moment somebody first hits our campus until they turn towards leadership. That's the area of responsibility. So the person will be responsible for our structure of connecting with a guest to walk with them through their process of discipleship, leading into serving both the church and the community. And as they move from guest to member, the systems by which the church body cares for them is the responsibility of this role, the connections pastor. In, in addition, the connections pastor will have the oversight of children and youth, the teaching team with its responsibilities of curriculum and teaching discipleship classes, small groups, big group learning, and the development of future leaders and teachers that will be necessary as we grow in our learning processes. So at the same time, and I in consultation with both families, both were in agreement that I should make a joint announcement. And so on the one hand, it's bittersweet. We're saying goodbye to the Fulbert's, but we're also saying, well, hello in a new light. So I'm pleased to announce to you that Desi Lugo has accepted the role of Connections Pastor and began working full-time for the church September 30th. Desi and Rachel and their family are no strangers to us. In fact, they have been integral members of the team since I invited them to join us two years ago. And it has been just slightly over two years. Rachel has regaled us with her frustration of Desi's talents regarding structure and details. <laughs> he is a biblical scholar in his own right, a gifted teacher. You all have experienced that. And a developer of teachers, and some of you have experienced that. His quiet and affirming voice has already added a richness to the fabric of our team here at Newark and will allow me to be even louder and less affirming than I already am. Not really. I'm being funny. Come on. Many of you may not know that Desi and Rachel came to us with rich and varied pastoral experience. Following both of their graduations from Christian Life College in Stockton, California, they assisted for 10 years in the town of Turlock, California. They moved to St. Louis in 2012 to allow Desi to pursue and earn his Master of Arts in Theological Studies from Urshan Graduate School of Theology. And this is where I met them and began to recognize their many gifts. And I would add, God specifically told me, do not touch them. I was ready to jump on that bandwagon real fast. He said, leave them alone. Following graduation, they continued living in St. Louis where Desi became a scrum master, a type of project manager for AT&T. And they also served on the pastoral team of the sanctuary under Pastor Scott Graham, who's now the United Pentecostal Church International General Secretary. And they were there responsible for new member and guest care, including discipleship. Desi, along with Rachel, and you all know this, love people. In fact, they love people so much that they will kill themselves spending time with you. That's my job, to balance that. Because them dead won't do us any good. Many, if not all of you, have already felt their personal touch in the past two years. And so we are very, very excited that Desi has decided to get on this leaky boat that we believe by faith Jesus is in the bow. And he's assumed that role of connections pastor. Now, what I want us to do, and the reason that I preached what I preached to you today, we're going to be team-led. It's my job to get us there. We're going to send people. As surely as we receive them, we're going to release them as God leads and guides. 
The book of Acts talks about something that I want us to do in just two seconds. They talk about laying on of hands. Many times we think about laying on of hands as receiving the Holy Ghost, and that, that is one of the functions. But the other is, is the laying on of hands, which is imparting the blessing and the anointing of a location to those who they are sending out. It's also about imparting a blessing and authority to those that are into a new role within the body. And so... I would like the Lugo family to come to my left, stand facing the congregation in the middle of the altar. I'd like the Fulbert family to come to my right and stand in the middle of the altar facing the congregation. And the reason I'm asking them to stand in the middle of the altar is because I want as many of you as can. This is our altar service. This is what today is about. This is why we're here. I want you to come and I want you to lay your hands of blessing and anointing and authority upon them. You are the church. I'm not. I'm simply a member. I have a role, but you are where the body is. And so I'd like for you all to stand and I want you to come. Okay, I need you all to step forward because they're going to surround you. They're going to come behind you and in front of you. And I want you to fill this altar. Pastoral team, please come. All of you, just come. Fill this altar. Literally, if we can possibly do it, every single person in this place have a hand either on some member of this family or on somebody who's in front of you that has a hand on this family. And let us pray both in receiving and in sending the anointing of Almighty God upon his church. Jesus, I love you this morning. God, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us and give us faith, Lord. Jesus, we need your anointing upon us, Lord. God, we need this gospel to go forth without impediment, Lord. And God, we pray, Lord, that your anointing presence, God, would not only be upon us, but would lead and guide. God, I pray a blessing upon my friend, the forebears, Lord Jesus, Russ and Kim and their family, Lord Jesus. God, let your anointing be with them. Let your blessing be upon them, Lord. Encourage them and strengthen them in this time of discerning. God, let us rejoice as you open the doors, as you direct the steps. Guide them to where they are to be. And God, we pray a blessing of anointing upon Desi and Rachel. God, as they step into this role, God, every spirit that would come against them, I rebuke in your name. Give them wisdom and strength, Lord, to lead in our midst. God, help us to be an Antioch church. Help us, Lord, not to try to control what you're doing, but to have faith and trust, Lord, not only with our money, but with our people. Not only with our members, Lord, but what, God, with the leading of your spirit. God, help us, Lord Jesus, to share this, God, to structure according to your will. Let your anointing be upon these couples. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. One moment before you return to your seats, I want to say one thing. This is a little different than what we have ever faced. We've had some who have served in our midst for a season and then left. But I believe we are entering into a season that if we are to achieve what God has called us to do, we've got to be comfortable with people being found in the hidden places and being brought here, whether by you or by the Spirit. We've got to be comfortable with pouring into their lives and then pouring into ours. And then we've got to be comfortable with releasing them. What feels like a loss to us, do you realize from the king's perspective, is just a transfer? Because we're still inside of a single kingdom that's being ruled by a single king. I'm not minimizing the separation and distance, but I'm also telling you we serve a single king who's king of a single kingdom. And so we can, we've got to learn to adjust if we're to be Antioch. We've got to let them come. We've got to let them speak. We've got to speak into them. And then as the Lord wills, we've got to let them go. Is everybody that comes going to leave? No, I don't think so. 
Is everybody that comes going to stay? No, I know so. This is new for us. Get used to this empowering moment. This is your authority that's been placed upon the Fulbert's. This is your authority from the Spirit of God that's been placed upon the Lugos. And God will work among us as we let him be king. Could we love him one more time together? All across the place, would you lift your hands? If you're new with us, forgive me for the inward focus of this service, but it was important because God is setting us up. He's directing his body. God, I love you this morning. I thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness, Lord Jesus. God, lead and guide us in everything that we do now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. If you're a first or second or third time guest, we got a